Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon. It's good to see you. Um, Living in Dublin is great. We've had a great taste of that this weekend. What a big weekend. We've had the rugby. We've had St. Patrick's weekend. We've seen Dublin at its best. We've even had some beautiful summer weather this morning, if you were up for that. But it is generally all through the year, great living in Dublin, restaurants, pubs, stunning countryside at our doorstep. Well, the Wicklow people get to enjoy that all year round. But we've got great colleges, tech companies galore. You can understand why people come to Dublin. But it's also hard living in Dublin. We know that. It can be lonely living in a capital city. It's hard to get jobs. It's even harder, it seems, to find a room to rent, and many of you know that. But as many of you know as well, being a follower of Jesus in Dublin is getting increasingly hard. The pressure is on. We're in the minority. We are resident aliens, which is what the title is of our series. This is where we live, but it's not our home. It's not where we really belong. Our citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. Now, we've just celebrated St. Patrick. He was forced into slavery. He knew what it was to be a resident alien in Ireland. And yet in the midst of that, his faith was a vital part of his life. And rather than becoming cynical or bitter towards those who'd captured him or resenting where he was, He deepened in his prayer life, and he campaigned for the liberation of slaves in Ireland. He sought to bless the very people who'd captured him. What's your approach to being a resident alien in Dublin? Is it assimilation to spend, to blend in as much as possible, to keep quiet about the Bible's controversial convictions? Or is your inclination more towards withdrawal? Spend as little time as possible with non-Christian family or colleagues or housemates and pour all your time into CU friends or church friends. Simulation or withdrawal? If you're not a follower of Jesus here this afternoon, it's good for you to hear this tension. For becoming a Christian doesn't mean an easy life. It's full of difficult decisions, when to say yes and when to say no. And Daniel provides us with a model of living in the world, but not of it. He was prepared to be all in where he was, but to live distinctly and put God first. So let's hear Daniel chapter 6 read for us. It's Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption on him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. 
So these chief ministers and satraps went, to a, uh, went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned about that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that the situation Daniel, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I, have, I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found to be on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. And his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered before the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thank you, Connor. Did you notice at the end of 23 there, look down, 
few words at the end of that sentence, Daniel trusted in his God. And all that we're thinking about today, being a resident alien in Dublin, in Daniel's situation in Babylon, being a resident alien, it all comes down to trusting in God. And we're going to see how Daniel trusted in his God. There's promotion, there's jealousy, there's plotting, there's deceit, and there's even a den of lions in this chapter. So plenty to keep us awake. Stay with me, follow along in your Bibles or on your apps and uh, track where we're going. But let's remind ourselves of where we left Daniel at the end of chapter five. He was clothed in purple, he had a gold chain around his neck, and he was appointed the third highest ruler over the whole kingdom. But the very same night as his promotion, the king, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, died. So once again, we have another monarch change in the book of Daniel and enter on stage Darius the Mede, who becomes king at 62. Well, that's just a young slip of a thing when we realize that Daniel was in his 80s by now. So think Michael Higgins or Joe Biden. And often when you see those paintings of impressions of Daniel in the lion's den, you see a young man. But actually, this is a man who's still trusting in his God in his 80s. He's one of three administrators over 120 mini rulers, the satraps. And he was faithful to his boss, the king. And that's our first point. Daniel was a faithful servant to the king. Let's hear again how his character and his abilities are described. Look down with me at verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. Verse 4, he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And in verse 22b, he has the confidence to look at the king and say, nor have I ever done wrong before you, your majesty. Now, Bible teacher Chris Wright says, we're not told that Daniel was this great preacher or this amazing leader in the synagogue. What we are told is that he used his talents and his gifts to the best of his ability for the state. Here's a man using all of who he is, his intellect, his abilities, his trustworthy character to bless a pagan king, to bless a culture and a country that's not his own, and the very country that took him and his people into exile. He was faithful and trustworthy in his workplace and to his boss, the king. He was putting into practice the words of the prophet at the time, Jeremiah, who says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too shall prosper. Just pause there for a moment. I wonder if we at CCC have that kind of reputation across Dublin, that we're seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city in our workplaces, in our colleges, in our neighborhoods, in our families. Wow, that's some reputation. Daniel was faithful in his workplace to the king, and it led, in his case, to him being promoted. Glance back at verse 3. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But it also led to him being envied, 
betrayed and opposed by his colleagues. But even his colleagues, his betrayers, couldn't deny his faithful character. Again, at verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So in verse 5, they say, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... It is something to do with the law of his God. And this is where they seek to catch Daniel out. So in verses 6 to 8, they persuade the king to issue a new law, a new edict that says in verse 7, anyone who prays to any God or human in the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. They knew that even though Daniel was faithful to the king, if there was going to be a clash of loyalties, he was faithful to his God above all else. And haven't we seen this pattern in his life? If you've been with us over the last few weeks, Daniel has been faithful along the way. But in this chapter, we see his faithfulness displayed in his vibrant, disciplined, consistent prayer life. What's his first reaction to hearing this law and the potentially devastating consequences for him personally? Look down at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. It was his first instinct after hearing bad news because prayer was already the pattern in his life. So let's look a bit more closely at his prayer. So stick in verse 10 with me. His prayer is hopeful. And you see that it's not a throwaway sentence that his windows were open to Jerusalem. This was symbolic because he knew, Daniel knew that God was going to rescue his people back from exile and bring them to the, the land again. He was expecting God to fulfill his promises. His prayer is hopeful. His prayer is humble. He's on his knees. Now, you know there's no biblical imperative that tells you when you pray, you have to kneel. But many generations, many denominations, even today, still kneel when they pray as a posture to symbolize, we are not God. God, you are God. We are coming as your humble servants before you. Daniel was so in such high authority. He probably had people kneeling before him all the time, but he still knew his place before God, and he kneels in prayer. His prayer was humble, but his prayer was thankful now remember, he's just heard the news that a law's been imposed and that he's probably going to end up in the lion's den. And he comes to God and he comes to pray and he pours out thanks. Here's someone who's able to fight for perspective in his prayer. His prayer is thankful. His prayer is dependent Look, look down at verse 11b. His betrayers actually find him in prayer, asking God for help. 
Now, maybe he's asking God for wisdom. We've seen that over the last few chapters. Maybe he's asking God for courage. Maybe he's asking God for rescue. Surely he's asking God for divine intervention. But he comes and he cries out to God for help. His prayer is dependent. And stop to think about that for a moment. He's one of the most important, busiest rulers over the whole known kingdom of the world at that time. And he pauses to pray three times a day. Do you have a prayer life like that? Do you want a prayer life like that? Do I have a prayer life like that? And what we find is that his prayer life, his seeking of God is key to him being able to live as a resident alien in Babylon. His regular, honest talking with God enables him to choose when to say yes. Yes, I'll take the new name. Yes, I'll study your laws. And no, I won't eat the king's food. And no, I won't pray to the king. I will pray to God. His prayer life enables him to know the wisdom and courage to live as a resident alien. Well, we heard what happens next. His colleagues go to the king, they expose his law-breaking prayer life. And despite Darius's distress in verse 14 and making every effort to save him, he was bound by his own law and he has Daniel thrown to the lions. And there's a few verses there that I think the writer's meant to invoke sympathy from us. You know, poor Darius, it says he doesn't even want entertainment that night and he struggles to sleep. But I find it hard to be sympathetic. Daniel's in the bottom of the lion's den and poor Darius is, we're meant to feel sympathy that he had a bad night's sleep. But he does have a bad night's sleep because he's longing that Daniel be rescued. And we can only imagine the anticipation the next morning as he runs to the lion's den and he shouts out, glance with me at verse 20. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? And perhaps there was a momentary pause. And then out of the den comes Daniel's voice loud and clear. May the king live forever. My God sent his angels, in verse 21, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Wow, miraculous rescue. Not only is Daniel still alive after a night with the lions, but verse 23, no wound was found on him. They've not even nibbled at him at all. And verse 23, there's that line again, because he trusted in his God. Now, we know the lions weren't off their food. That was not the problem because Darius then throws the betrayers and their families into the lion's den and they are no more. No, this was divine, miraculous intervention from God. Daniel was willing to die rather than compromise his devotion to God. He was willing to protest publicly against his boss rather than compromise on his prayer life. And it led to him being vindicated and rescued. Now, through some advanced tech recreation, we have photos of the scene in Daniel 6. This is in Treehouse last week. And there's Jez, my husband, and we've got Theo 
and Jed, the two betrayers whispering to King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we have Daniel there praying, that's Josiah. And we have, oh yeah, fervent prayer there, very sincere. Scary lions, that's Theo, he's at the back, yeah. And uh, yeah, they look like they're getting on well there in the lion's den. And there we have the angel that God sent to shut the mouths of the lions, and there's King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> so that, that hopefully will help you put it into context. But I wonder, as you look down the chapter, and maybe you could think about this this week, I'd encourage you to reread it, do we see the conversion of King Darius? Does he become a God follower in this chapter? I don't know, but at the very least, he becomes an evangelist. Look down again at verse 25 to 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Worldwide witness. Did you notice that in 25? To all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. The character of God is proclaimed everywhere as God the powerful one. You see, there's an underlying question throughout the book of Daniel. Where does true power lie? Because at first glance, it seems to lie with the kings of these empires who can just take a whole people group and move them across the world. But we've seen time and time again that kings and kingdoms rise and they fall. And Daniel's lived through several kings and he knows true power lies with God. His trust was not in the kings or the kings, but in God. So let's look again at what Darius pronounces to the whole world. Verse 26, unlike the kings of Babylon who are dropping like flies, he is the living God. He lives forever. Unlike the rise and fall of the kingdoms of this earth, God's kingdom will not be destroyed and his rule will never end. He's a miracle working God. He rescues and saves. See, God is the hero of this story, not Daniel. God is the hero. God has kept a remnant in exile. God enabled Daniel to be faithful in his workplace. God enabled Daniel to stand up and be counted when there was a clash of loyalties. God rescued Daniel from the lions. God worked through Darius to proclaim his character across the world. True power lies with God. And God is in the business of bringing good from evil. And we see this most displayed in the life of Jesus, the faithful son. You see, Daniel's faithfulness is just a pointer to the ultimate faithfulness of Christ. Jesus was faithful to his heavenly father. Jesus was trustworthy. No corruption was found in him. Jesus had a rich, consistent, vibrant, disciplined prayer life. We often see him withdrawing from people, withdrawing from ministry opportunities and praying. Jesus experienced opposition, plots, betrayal, 
from his closest, from one of his own disciples. Jesus was obedient to his father's will, even to the point of death on a cross. But where Jesus' story diverges from Daniel's is that Jesus was not rescued from evil. He endured suffering and death on a cross. But God did vindicate him. He raised him from the dead on the third day, making a spectacle of evil. And there has been worldwide impact. Just look around you here this afternoon. There are people following Jesus from all around the world gathered here. The message of Jesus' resurrection has gone across to most nations and most people and most languages around the world. It's God who rescues and saves, and we see that in the life of Jesus. But perhaps if you're not following Jesus this afternoon, you're thinking, what does he save from? Because we're not being threatened with lion's dens today in this country. Well, Colossians 1, verses 13 to 14 says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, being bought back, and the forgiveness of sins. See, this is the saving work of God in Christ. He offers to rescue you from darkness to forgive you from the sin of living for yourself, of rejecting him, of not trusting him, and to bring you into the kingdom of his son and give you eternal life. Do you want rescued? Are you in darkness? Ask God to rescue you. He's the God who rescues and saves. Not just Daniel, but right today. Ask the person beside you afterwards, are you rescued? When were you rescued? Let's ask and remind one another of how God has rescued and saved us. But if you are following in Jesus, if you are following Jesus, then let's remember, and this is a, a mystery and it's hard to get our heads around it, you are in Christ and Christ is in you by his spirit. And this is where we find the strength and the power to live as faithful servants in Dublin. Remember what we learned from our last series, sermon series in 2 Peter. We have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. So in our last few minutes, let's draw out a couple of applications of what life and godliness might look like from Daniel 6. Firstly, don't withdraw. Be faithful where God has placed you. Don't withdraw in your workplace, in your college, in your neighborhood, in your family. Be trustworthy. What are the gifts that God has given you? What are your God-given talents? What experience has God given you? Use it to bless those around you. And I'd encourage you to think about that this week. What does that look like in your situation? And it's complicated today, isn't it? Like, what does it look like if you're working from home? And I think, at the very least, it means getting back in the habit of turning your camera on in Zoom meetings and arranging where you can to meet up with people socially, but be all in where you can. Maybe you're unemployed and you're thinking, I don't even have a workplace or a boss. You might not be getting paid, and do bring that need to God, 
But where can you serve? Who can you serve? Who can you bless around you? Don't withdraw, be all in. Students, a word for you. Work hard at your studies. Don't just do the bare minimum. Get involved in college societies. Be part of college life. You are benefiting from the city. How can you bless the city? And will you prayerfully think about staying in Dublin after you graduate? It won't be best for everyone, but seek to be faithful where God has placed you. Don't withdraw. Secondly, don't assimilate. Have wisdom and courage to count the cost. Are you willing to be faithful to God, even if it means disobeying those in authority? If your employer asks you to cut corners ethically, are you going to assimilate? Are you going to be faithful to God? If your college society expects you to drink too much alcohol at initiations, are you going to assimilate? Are you going to be faithful to God? What if Ireland creates laws prohibiting us praying or gathering together as a church or telling other people about Jesus? Will we assimilate or will we be faithful to God? Now, it's worth remembering that when we choose to be faithful to God in the workplace and we count the cost when there's a clash of loyalties, it might not result in the promotion like Daniel got. It might not look like being rescued from the lion's den because Daniel did eventually die. And in Hebrews 11, it records that while some faithful Christians escaped the sword, others were tortured in prison, sawed in two, fed to the lions. They were faithful servants who refused to withdraw or assimilate, but they didn't get rescued on this earth. And Christ City Church, if we're going to be faithful resident aliens, we haven't been promised rescue now. We haven't been promised rescue from suffering. And some of you know that very well. But we have been promised eternal rescue an eternal peace, an eternal life, and everything we need in Christ for life and godliness now. So we need to draw strength from Christ. We need to pray. Don't withdraw, don't assimilate, and thirdly, be dependent, cultivate a prayer life. Not out of legalism. We can't earn favor with God by praying. We know that. But surely we want to deepen our relationship with the very one who strengthens us to live for him. Maybe you've never prayed. Maybe you don't know how to pray or you've fallen out of the habit. You can't remember the last time you've prayed. Or maybe you do pray, but your prayers feel cold or boring. I'd encourage you to start praying this week or restart praying. It's talking with God. Talk to him. Maybe you want to use the pattern of Daniel's prayer. Open, find it in your Bible or your Bible app this week and look at his prayer in verse 10. Use that as a pattern. Let your prayer be hopeful. We're not praying to Jerusalem. We're praying to God, find a Bible promise and pray that it would be fulfilled, that God's kingdom would come. Let it be hopeful. Let it be humble. You don't need to kneel. Maybe you do want to kneel, though, to remind yourself you're coming before the awesome living God who endures forever. Let your prayer be thankful. 
Thank God for who he is. Sometimes it feels like there's nothing else you can give thanks for, except for, God, you're still God. I know this is who you are. Thank you. But thank God for who he is and what he's done for you. Hopeful, humble, thankful. Let your prayers be dependent. We are needy people. If you're not, you're the only one here who's not needy. We are needy people. But God loves it when we bring our neediness to him. That famous verse in Philippians, pray about, help me out, pray about everything. Yeah. Bring your neediness to God. Let your prayers be dependent. And that throwaway line in verse 10b, glance down, just as he had done before. Daniel had the habit of prayer. So let's grow a habit this week of praying. And let's do it together corporately as well as a church. Let's pray with one another after Sunday services. Just turn to your friends and say, I love your prayer for this week. Don't miss out on the prayer and worship nights if you can. Do everything you can to join us and pray for the prospering and the blessing of Dublin that God's character would be seen in our lives as we seek to be faithful where he has placed us. Pray on your own this week, but let's pray together as a church. Let's do that now together. Father, we thank you for who you are, the living God who endures forever, the God who rescues and saves. And we thank you for this powerful story of Daniel. You reached into the pit and shut the mouths of the lions and rescued him and vindicated him. And even more amazing, you declared your character across all peoples and nations. And we thank you that we have heard your character this afternoon proclaimed. We pray that you would help those of us who are following Jesus to find the strength in him that we need this week to be faithful looking for a job, to be faithful in our jobs, to be faithful as students, to be faithful in our families, not to assimilate, not to withdraw, but to draw strength from Christ. And so would you increase our prayer life. Teach us how to pray, oh God. Help us to talk with you. May that be our instinct more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.